If you would, please take out your Bibles again and turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. It's been a number of weeks since we've been there, and we'll be there now for a a number of weeks in the days to come. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to God in prayer, acknowledging our utter dependence upon Him to understand and apply His Word. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us alone to find our way, but you've provided your word and your spirit. And we pray now, Father, that you would indeed, by your spirit, open our eyes to see your truth, open our ears to hear your truth, open our minds to know and our hearts to receive uh, what is before us in your word. Father, help us to be men and women and boys and girls who don't, after hearing uh, your word, uh, be like those who look in a mirror and walk away forgetting what they look like. But enable us, Father, through your gracious provision to enable us to put your word into practice. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're resuming our series, Jesus according to the Bible, an exposition of the Gospel of Mark. We were last here at the end of November when we looked at Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, and then we spent four weeks really um, taking a look at uh, Mark 10, 45 uh, through the lens of Isaiah, getting us, uh, enabling us to go deeper in our understanding and appreciation of Jesus' work Uh, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I don't have a listening device in your home or your office, but my guess is, is if I did, I might hear these words or expressions, you never, you always, nothing you ever do. Now, am I overstating it? In fact, those words themselves, are they an overstatement? Well, they may be, but they're also often used to create or increase conflict, though unintentionally. Well, interestingly, even though we we want to, in some ways, run from that conversation in the kitchen and in the dining room, uh, especially as it's it's, um, got an attitude of anger or disappointment with those words. Interestingly, in the Bible, there is an awful lot of nevers, alwayses, nothings. Well, what is the Bible? It's the story of salvation, the revelation, the narrative of God's redeeming work to save his people. Within the story, there are indicatives and imperatives, statements to believe and commands to obey. And there is also some remarkably absolute language. In the Old Testament, yes, but also the New Testament. We just have to go, for instance, to the gospel according to John. Listen to these statements that Jesus makes. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 6:35. In John 14, 6, we read these words from Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And then in chapter 15, we hear these words as Jesus has described the relationship between him and his people as that of vine and branches. He says this, for apart from me, you can do, are you ready for this? Nothing. Well, let's jump out of John and go to Hebrews where we read these words. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Well, if it is impossible to please God without faith, then it would seem that it would be absolutely essential for us to know and understand what faith is, to know and understand what true faith is. Back to Mark. You've heard me say this, and we all know this. There is widespread ignorance and confusion as to the identity of Jesus in the first century and here in the 21st century. But Mark is helping to eradicate ignorance and to, um, to clear up confusion as he, throughout his work, is asking and answering three questions. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? And today's text will furnish us with an answer, an answer to that third question and helping us answer this question. What is faith in Jesus? Before we read the text, let me make a few introductory comments. This is a well-known and well-loved passage of Scripture. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century great Baptist preacher in London, preached eight sermons on this text. Fortunately for us, it's just one today. Although, it's probably worth eight, if not more. This is the last of the healing miracles recorded by Mark. The story is vivid and precise. Of all the people mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this, that were healed by Jesus, Bartimaeus is the only one mentioned by name. This story is the climax of Mark's teaching on faith and discipleship that we've seen in particular in chapters 8 through 10. Because in chapter 11, we will see Jesus Enter Jerusalem. Join with me now as I read Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, 
Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The high point of this climax is when Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. Combining both physical and spiritual dimensions. The story of Bartimaeus and Jesus, therefore, will present something of an anatomy of faith. So let's now spend some time finding out what faith is and what faith does. First, faith is knowledge. Faith is the knowledge that certain things are true. The scene, Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside. Pilgrims are on their way to Jerusalem for the annual feast of Passover. Jesus is with his disciples and the crowd. There's two cities, Jericho, Old City, and Jericho, New City. It's the last city in the Jordan River Valley before Jerusalem, which is located 18 miles to the northeast of Jericho. So Jesus has been headed to Jerusalem. He's now entering and in the vicinity of Jericho. And the next geographic marker will be getting into Jerusalem that we will see in chapter 11. Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside. Faith is knowledge of self, we will learn. Bartimaeus knows his condition. He knows he is blind and has to beg. Blindness in that day condemned him to a world of darkness and poverty. He was reduced to begging for a living. Notice he's blind and a beggar. It's a double condition. He knows that he has to depend upon the generosity of of people. He knows that he has to beg in order to survive. And so as we explore what faith is, the first aspect is it's part of faith's knowledge is self-knowledge. Bartimaeus knows his condition. And the Bible describes the spiritual condition of fallen man as blindness. Martin Lloyd Jones the 20th century English preacher says this, the first sign of spiritual life is to feel that you are dead. The natural man is always play acting, look, always looking at himself and admiring himself. But one of the best tests of whether we are truly Christian or not is just this. Do I hate my natural self and condition?" We can already see from our text that Bartimaeus, as it were, hates the condition he is in. He's blind and he's begging. But Bartimaeus didn't just know about himself. He also knew something about Jesus. Faith always knows something about Jesus. 
And that knowledge of Jesus is essential to true faith. And so faith is also knowledge of Jesus. Bartimaeus has heard of Jesus. We see this. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, you'll see that that Bartimaeus is not just going to have faith in itself. Because faith in itself is nothing. What's important and what matters is the object of faith. He's heard of Jesus. How is he heard? Well, the word about Jesus, of course, is getting out and about. He's heard something about Jesus. And notice how he addresses Jesus as the son of David. A messianic title. Bartimaeus, as it were, must somehow be familiar with Isaiah, the servant songs of the Messiah. He's he's looking ahead to this son of David and he believes that this Messiah has come upon him. He has a conviction formed, notice, on what he has heard about Jesus. Not only did he hear that Jesus was on the road, but he had heard about who this man was. And he believed that Jesus could restore his sight. Paul would later write this to the Romans. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Some people that um, come to visit Grace and Peace... um, comment to me, uh, there are an awful lot of words in your worship service. There are an awful lot of uh, scripture passages read and sung and prayed. Well, guess what? God has been pleased to reveal himself through his word. To be sure, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, but how do we know Jesus but through his word? One commentator writes this, what Bartimaeus lacks in eyesight, he makes up for in insight. Bartimaeus did not see a PowerPoint presentation. Bartimaeus did not see the video clip. Bartimaeus did not see the Jesus movie. Bartimaeus heard the word about Jesus and he's about to hear the word from Jesus. Bartimaeus knew that Jesus could do for him what he needed done and that was enough. So first, faith is knowledge of self, the condition we're in, and also of Jesus, who he is. And second, faith is active trust and confidence. Let's look at the actions of Bartimaeus Bartimaeus believes, okay, he believes that Jesus can help him. So what does he do? Even though he had never seen Jesus, he believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the son of David. Peter writes this, interestingly, Peter, also with Jesus on the road, who still doesn't get it completely yet. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love in him you love him and believe in him bartimaeus did not wait for jesus to find him he took steps as it were to find jesus he positioned himself he cries out he persists he obeys 
when Jesus, when the people say uh, he is calling you, he gets up and goes to Jesus. So what do we learn about faith from this incident? Faith cries out. He cries out for mercy. He wasn't claiming rights, status, privileges. You know why he doesn't? Because he doesn't have any. He didn't ask for what he deserved. He asked for mercy. Faith cries out and faith is persistent. He cries to God continually. He persists even though Jesus, as it were, delays. Notice that not only does faith cry out and faith is persistent, but faith is willing to take grief from others. Notice the people around Bartimaeus. They mock him. They criticize him for being so persistent in seeking Jesus. Earlier, the disciples try to get in the way of children and Jesus, thinking that Jesus is way too important to be bothered by children. Jesus has a word for his disciples then, and he has a word for them and the people now. The disciples tried to prevent the children, and here the crowds are trying to prevent Bartimaeus. Now let me ask you this question. Are you willing to take grief from others in your pursuit of Jesus? To be sure, Jesus pursues us and finds us, but there is an aspect that we pursue, pursue Jesus as well. Years ago, I read a book that uh, was sitting on the book table of a small Presbyterian church plant in Texas that uh, changed my life, if I can say it like that. When people are big and God is small, addressing the fear of man. Well, you see right here, Bartimaeus could care less what other people are saying. He's only concerned about getting close to Jesus. Are you willing to handle the mocking, the laughter? Faith, we see, expresses itself in obedience. When he learns that Jesus is calling him, he throws off his cloak, he jumps up, and he comes to Jesus. There is an immediacy, no delay. He drops other things, and some commentators say that when he drops the cloak, that's a symbolic gesture of he's dropping his old life. He's coming to Jesus. Well, what do we learn here about Jesus? Let's look at the calling of Jesus and the question of Jesus. Jesus is compassionate. He does not ignore those who cry out to him. Ask yourself, what is it that stops Jesus on the way to Jerusalem? Here it's a blind beggar. The cause of Barnabas' distress was clear, but Jesus, in asking this question, he's, he's wanting to strengthen his faith by encouraging him to express it forthrightly. Jesus already knew, but he wanted Barnabas to ask. Jesus makes us wait to make us more aware and appreciative of him and to make absolutely sure what is the reason we are coming to him in the first place? 
There are a lot of motivations for people coming to Jesus. I want to be well thought of. I want uh, my life to go smooth. As we heard earlier, for the sake of the call, when Jesus calls, that's the motivation. And if we believe, we'll obey and follow Jesus And as we hear that call. So Jesus is making Bartimaeus think and consider what is the reason he's coming to Jesus. Isn't it remarkable again that Jesus allows the cries of a poor and powerless person to stop him in his tracks? And what does Bartimaeus want? Let's look at the request of Bartimaeus from the second half of verse 51. Bartimaeus addresses Jesus as we see rabbi, but in the original language, it's rabboni. It's more intimate, more respectful than just rabbi because he's not just a teacher. Bartimaeus is saying, you're my master and my Lord. And in John chapter 20, when Jesus has been raised from the dead, remember in the garden, Rabboni, my master, my Lord. Bartimaeus is named. Jesus is named as well. Remember what James and John asked for? What did they ask for? Jesus asked the very same question, doesn't he, earlier. What do you want me to do for you in verse 36? And what did James and John, representing all the disciples, what do they want? They wanted extraordinary glory. And what does Bartimaeus want? Ordinary health. Bartimaeus is asking here not to be superhuman, but simply human. One commentator says this, For the well, normalcy may seem the bare minimum, but for the ill and troubled, normalcy is God's greatest gift. The kingdom of heaven, it has been said, is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. Bartimaeus is desperate, and his desperation is a doorway to faith. So we've seen that faith is knowledge of self and of Jesus. And faith is active trust and confidence. And finally, in our passage, we see that faith is made known by its fruit. In other words, faith bears fruit. And we see that in verse 52. Let me read that again. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. According to Jesus, what happened to Bartimaeus is this. His faith has made him well. He recovered, he regained his sight. How? Mysteriously, by the work of Jesus, received through the instrument of faith. Again, the word for made well or healed can also be translated as saved, combining both a physical and a spiritual dimension. 
And it's very important that Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's not just healing this man. He is teaching his disciples about what faith is. And what does Jesus tell Bartimaeus to do? To go his way. And notice, unlike previous healing miracles, Jesus does not tell him to stay silent, nor does he tell him not to follow. He says, go your way. And what did Bartimaeus do? Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the way. Here we see the transformation of Bartimaeus. He's sitting by the roadside. He's sitting by the way. And he's told to go your way. And he follows Jesus on the way. The way, your way, Jesus' way. Here's Bartimaeus from sitting along the way to standing and walking, following on the way. From an outsider of the kingdom to an insider. From a bystander to a disciple. In other words, Mark is saying, Bartimaeus has entered the kingdom of God. And so even though Jesus has been instructing and dealing with his disciples, those 12 that he has chosen, here is Bartimaeus, the the model, the representative disciple. So here's a question. How do we know that Jesus has touched us with his power? How did Bartimaeus know that Jesus had touched him with his power? How? By a changed and changing life. Bartimaeus here is the model disciple for Mark. From a beggar beside the road to a disciple on the road. Faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. Let me repeat that. This is not a clever statement. This is not human wisdom. This is what scriptures teach. Over and over again, faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. True faith bears fruit. James writes that directly, and James is not contradicting Paul. They're just coming at faith from two different starting locations. Bartimaeus is Mark's climactic example of a true disciple of Jesus. Remember? Whoever would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's Bartimaeus. Not James, not John, not Peter, but a blind man, a beggar, who cried out for mercy, received it, and then immediately began to follow Jesus. So what we have in our text is an anatomy of faith. Knowledge of self and Jesus' active trust and confidence, faith that bears fruit. And Bartimaeus' encounter with Jesus shows us that this faith, his faith, is no blind faith. How does the book of Hebrews define faith? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Things not seen with physical eyes. Because we are all blind presently when it comes to seeing Jesus physically with our eyes. Yet Bartimaeus sees with his soul, his heart, before he sees with his eyes. It's true for us as well. While physically blind, 
Bartimaeus sees Jesus better than his disciples walking with him. For while they have knowledge, they see that Jesus is the Messiah. They've confessed it in Mark 8, 29. They do not yet see their need. In other words, they don't yet see their sin for him to die as a substitute for him as Isaiah 52 and 53 made clear. The Old Testament children, his promise is made. And what's the New Testament? Promise is kept. Where are we right now? We're on the road to Jerusalem. We're on the road to Zion. And there's the healing of the blind we saw from Isaiah 35. And what is happening? The ransomed are headed back to Jerusalem. This is the second miracle, the penultimate miracle in Mark. The last miracle is, of course, the resurrection. But it illustrates here the promise that God has made and given through the prophet Joel, where we read, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Bartimaeus' encounter with Jesus shows that you meet Jesus in your weakness, not in your strength. Bartimaeus encountered Jesus' power not on the basis of his strength or ability, but in the context of his suffering and weakness. The crowd around him believed that he had nothing to contribute to what Jesus was doing. And for all of their misunderstanding, the crowds and disciples were what? Were absolutely right. But they didn't understand that this was not a disqualification, but rather a qualification, the qualification for calling on the name of the Lord. We sing often, Rock of Ages. And what is one of those lines? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus brought nothing but his need. And in doing so, he fulfilled a fundamental law in God's kingdom. There is no other way to come to Jesus but on the basis of our need and on the basis of his ability to meet our need fully and completely. Finally, my friends, we hear in this text the cry for mercy. The disciples want glory. Bartimaeus wants mercy. The implication is that the twelve also need a miracle of sight. It is not enough to see that Jesus is the Messiah they must see also their need and hence what, that what they want most from Him is not their glory, but rather His mercy as He goes to the cross to die in their place and on their behalf. If any of you tweet, I have no idea if you do because I don't tweet, but if you do, this would be a good thing to tweet. Mercy is not for the deserving, but rather for the desperate. Mercy is not for the deserving, but rather for the desperate. How about you? Ask yourself this question. Do you think that you are deserving because of your family background, uh, your financial position, your standing in the community, your Sunday school gold star attendance, uh, fill in the blank. 
Do you think that you are deserving because of your or do you believe that you are desperate because of your need and your knowledge that only Jesus can meet it? Remember, he heard these words, take heart, cheer up. God hears the cry of the desperate. He hears those desperate for mercy. And Peter sums it up really well as he writes to the church these words. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I wonder if Peter was thinking about Bartimaeus when he wrote those words. Well, we began with some of the absolutes found in the Bible. Let's end on an absolute statement as well. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, I will never cast out. Whoever cries out to Jesus, in other words, for mercy, will be heard and will be healed of the disease of sin that leads to death. My friends, that is the good news that we and everyone else in our community need to hear and to believe. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hear the desperate cries of your people. We thank you, God, that you are a merciful and a gracious God. Father, you don't give us what we deserve, and yet you turn around and give us what we don't deserve. Father, we acknowledge that in and of ourselves we are so wicked and sinful that Jesus had to die for us. And yet, Father, we also acknowledge that we are so loved and treasured that Jesus was glad to die for us. Father, indeed, those who have faith in Jesus are the joy set before him as he headed to the cross. Father, we rejoice in amazement that Jesus took your curse so that we could receive your blessing. <clears throat> May your word that we have just heard take up residence in our life and change us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our substitute the one who has mercy on us for your glory and for the good of your people now and forever. Amen.